Hello woodworms, I'm Ray Defterius and this is the Hand Tool Book Review, the podcast for people who love woodwork and love reading about woodworking too. Have you ever flinched at the price of a new hand plane? Are you curious as to whether a wooden body plane could be compared to a metal body plane? Or are you just keen to make something beautiful that will make you smile every time you use it? Well, today's book is from John Wilson, and it's called Making Wood Tools. I picked up the second edition, which has the optimistic subtitle, Traditional Woodworking Tools You Can Make in Your Own Workshop. It does not proclaim to be a hand tool specific book, but you'll find that if you follow the projects in the book, pretty much everything can be done with hand tools. Some of you might be familiar with John Wilson as the author of books and a teacher of the techniques involved in making oval shaker boxes. I found it interesting to read in his bio that as a child he was allowed to freely access his father's workshop because it was a hand tool only workshop. While I'm occasionally referred to as a Luddite by my friends, this is the kind of upbringing I wanted for my kids. So it's nice to read about somebody who benefited from access to a shop with their curious little fingers. After studying anthropology he taught at the Lansing Community College for 23 years as a woodworking instructor before opening the home shop to supply the Shaker Oval Box trade. If you're interested in that, head over to shakerovalbox.com and take a look. If you're interested in his books on Shaker Boxes, remember that the first one is more of a gallery and the second one is the one with projects and processes, so it might be better to buy the second one first if you're interested in making some. So let's start the review of the book with a quote that resonated a lot with me. Learn the process of making tools. This is more interesting than the tool itself. We can see and feel the tool, but process is the life that produces it. Focusing on process spares us from the tedium of material acquisition. It is the line between craftsmen and collectors. I guess that this is the part of the review where some of you might lose interest. If you're one of those people who wants to have a perfectly matched set of premium tools neatly organized on the wall, This book might not at first seem to be a good investment of your time. I'd ask you to hang on a bit, as I think that there's some aspects of this book that will be useful to any type of woodworker. Let's unpack this for a bit, and I'll talk about my personal journey with hand planes. I fell in love with record hand planes, and I'll blame that on Paul Sellers. Even worse, I then discovered that there were planes stamped with war finish on them. These were made during the Second World War, when certain metals were restricted to the war effort. So I started lurking on eBay every day, checking for their exact planes I wanted. I visited the equivalent of Patrick Leach's Blood and Gore for Stanley planes for record planes. I learned what to look for on frogs to date the planes, and what the various changes were over the last century of production. Eventually I could spot a plane I was interested in by looking at a badly taken photo from the wrong angle in dim lighting. I ended up with a lot of planes. They looked fantastic on the wall. However, after a long year of refurbing and de-rusting, I realized that most of the planes were just gathering dust. I think it's fair to say that somehow in my initial enthusiasm for the tools, I became a collector rather than a user, and eventually I ended up selling most of them. I'm happier with less planes. And while the wall of planes doesn't look anywhere near as nice as some of the things I've seen on the internet, it's really easy, Uh, in fact it's amazingly easy, to oil and sharpen a few planes that you're using all the time. 
I think it's possible that if I'd read Making Wood Tools earlier in my career and try to build my own tools, there would have been no way I could have accumulated so many decorative tools. I wish in retrospect that I'd try to pare this collection down earlier. It's a sentiment that's echoed in many books, from the anarchist tool chest to the minimalists to a handmade life. And even if you're already ultra-conservative about your number of tools, there are some tools such as the Travisher that are really difficult to procure commercially for anything resembling a reasonable price. As I started reviewing this book, I was faced with an interesting, value-based dilemma. My old number 4 record plane, which has been my scrub plane of choice for the last couple of years, was damaged. I knocked it off the bench and it fell and the one wing snapped. This is to add to the other wing which has already been rebrazed back on before I'd got it. It's perfectly serviceable, but it looks pretty ugly. I was really tempted to buy a Lion Nielsen scrub plane. Probably the most unnecessary luxury plane purchase ever. It took a lot of soul searching, but I came to the conclusion that this was just basically pure excess. Obviously that's my opinion. I'm not saying you shouldn't buy one if you want one that badly. So instead I decided to truly review this book. I decided that I needed to put my money where my mouth is and build my own plane. But baby steps. I decided that I would not cut and heat treat my own plane blade, even though this is covered in the book. So instead I went looking at local antique shops to see if I could find a blade of the correct width. Ideally I would have liked something around one and a half inches to two inches. It turned out to be quite a serendipitous decision to go shopping that morning because not only did I find a German-style plane with a 2-inch blade for $12, I also found a 1-inch wooden rabbit plane for 6 bucks. So for $12, and the cost of a wooden plane blank, I had what I needed to make a scrub plane. Fortunately, I'd built my workbench out of European beach, and I'd saved some of the offcuts, so I had the plane blank. Now I had the blade, all I needed was the skills, and the time and the effort to put it together. So what's in the book about making a scrub plane? You get a half page about the plane's purpose, a great full color picture of the final plane, top and side diagrams with dimensions and a list of materials needed to build the plane. A cut list if you will. In particular, I really like the cheap and cheerful solution he proposes for a strike button which repurposes an old carriage bolt. Because the author made his plane with a 1 and 5 16 EC Emmerich plane blade, I needed to adjust the dimensions provided, but this was as simple as changing the width on the affected pieces. On this I also erred on the side of caution. Figuring a bit of extra space around the blade was a better problem to have than a broken plane wall. But I decided to keep all the rest of the dimensions consistent with the original plans. There are a lot of pictures at each of the significant steps in the process, so if the drawing doesn't quite make sense to you, there'll be a picture that shows you why something was done. This is really a hallmark of the book in my opinion. If you can't follow a step, you'll find enough visual or narrative clues to help you along. The author provides a lot of handy hints along the way. The kind of hints that save you from making the quite obvious and typical beginner's mistake. An example of this is how he recommends you specifically mark in some pencil lines to make sure you avoid putting glue in the throat area. I know I would have gone the opposite way on my own and had all the additional cleanup burden as a result. In essence, the steps of this build were very simple. Shape two triangular blocks to the correct dimensions, use some clever jiggery to get these aligned when adding on sides, and you have the basis of the plane. 
Unfortunately, I wasn't able to resist the urge to tinker. So I decided to alter the plan and I cut it out of two blocks. One big central block, which fulfills the same purpose as the author's central block inside, and one side. In essence, two of John's pieces, which are simpler to make, are combined into one and I had a bit of extra chiseling and chopping and cutting as a result. Once you've put them together, it's a matter of rounding edges and corners and creating a wedge and abutment. The abutment in particular is an item that appears to be quite complicated, but in the book it's broken down step by step and because the abutment sides are glued on, rather than cut out from a solid block, the process is a lot easier than I thought it would be. It's certainly the way I'll make it the next time round. Unfortunately, again, as a tinkerer, I decided I'd try and cut it from a solid block. And I can tell you it's a lot of work. I think gluing on wedges is definitely a better design decision. The section includes process lists for the steps, diagrams of key angles and measurements, and photos of the process. Basically, the entire operation is demystified to the point that I believe even a beginner woodworker could follow carefully and get a good result. The wedge is similarly detailed and it's a simple matter of adding a hand block and a strike button after you've done that. I decided to tie myself on making the plane and to limit myself in terms of what tools I would use to see whether this project is practical for a woodworker just getting into hand tools. The main tools you'll need are a number five plane, a chisel, possibly half inch or one inch, a 12 inch rip file joinery saw, an egg beater drill and a drill bit that's the same size as the size of the dowels you're going to use, and some small files. I found the files to be particularly important, but I think some of that's due to the design changes I made in the process. There's some other tools that might make this build a little bit easier. A block plane for breaking edges, but again, that can be done with the chisel, or carefully with the number five, or with a little bit of sandpaper. The really key tools for making this are some chisels, some sharp chisels, a joinery saw, and a plane. It really doesn't take very much to make this at all. The original plan also calls for a groove along the side, for the comfort of your fingers. And John did this in the book with the drill press and a cove router bit. If you don't want to use a router bit or a drill press or a router, I think it's easy to do with some kind of gouge. And the other options to treat it as a shallow mortise and relieve the edges of it with a chisel or with some sandpaper. Whichever way you choose, I think you'll find it pretty straightforward. I left it off the plane completely, and I certainly don't think the final product suffers as a result. So with a few tools, a plane, tenon saw, chisel and drill, and a few clamps, you can build your own scrub plane. You'll need a small hammer when you finish to adjust the plane blade. But hey, by the time you've got to this point in the process, you just might make your own one. Of course, after I'd started down this rabbit hole, I went off to the hardware store and bought myself some square brass rod and have plans to make a small adjustment hammer of my own now. All in all, the process of making my own plane was incredibly rewarding. I tested the new wooden scrub plane against its predecessor and I'm happy to say it's lighter, it slides across the wood easier and it certainly takes as chunkier shaving. So the project was definitely a success. When I started the project, I had this idea that I could make this plane in eight hours. I, I, I don't know why, it just seemed like a, a good target. I ended up at about nine and a half, but my final planes also got a carved ray on the side and I did some chamfering on the edges that was probably unnecessary. And as I mentioned, 
I definitely went the scenic route on making the abutments and changing the design. So let's say somewhere between 8 and 10 hours, spread over two days because you'll need to let the, the main section glue up overnight and you've got a scrub plane uh, for basically the cost of a blade or the cost of some tool steel if you feel comfortable to make the blade. I think it's an incredible testament to this book that a rank beginner could turn out an object that really I think is quite functional, quite good looking and I really enjoy using. You can take a look at some of the posts on Instagram if you want to see what the final product looks like. So back to the book. What tools are covered in the book? The first section covers planes and there's everything I could imagine in this section. Scrub, jack, smoothing plane, block plane, chisel, shoulder, router and molding planes. There's a compass plane, a large compass plane, and a travisher, as well as a spoke shave. There's a section on making a hand adze, which is a pretty difficult tool to source, a shop draw knife, a hand scraper, and some layout and marking tools. There's also a section on making your own bow saw, though in this section he does require that you buy the Gramercy kit. But nevertheless, the plans, diagrams, etc. are all there, and if you feel comfortable with making some components, you could easily adapt this plan. Speaking of which, Uri Tuchman is someone I follow on YouTube who made a beautiful little coping saw. If you want to see how to make the hardware for a saw, this is a video well worth watching. The video is called Making a Jeweler's Coping Saw. I'll link to it in the show notes. The section about tools were pretty straightforward and well laid out. It's hard to get precise numbers for each tool, as I'm reading this on the Kindle, but there is at least the equivalent of 10 pages of instructions per tool, lots of color photos, diagrams and clear instructions. The next section was an interesting segue for me. John clearly had a lot more experience with metal than I have, because there's a whole section on making blades. Not only related to the tools in the book, but also on how to make your own bandsaw blade from scratch. Not owning a bandsaw means I'm not giving that one a test, but it was a fascinating read. Likewise, there's a section on how to go about making your own blade from tool steel. So if this book is one of the first books you buy for hand tool woodworking, you effectively have all you need to know in one place. While it's not as comprehensive in scope as Ron Hock's book on sharpening and blade manufacture, this book has more than enough to equip you with all the skills you need to go out and make your own blade. In particular, I like the double tin and map torch setup that John advocates. His setup looks like a tidy and safe way to do this. Again, I haven't done it myself yet and I'm not an expert, so try not to set yourself on fire because Ray thought it was a good idea. Speaking of sharpening, there is a section for that in the book as well. And in particular, I love the John Gardner quote. For information, potato power refers to humans rather than machines. Here's the quote. When potato power gets things done, your hand tools need to work. Sharpness cannot be overstressed in terms of hand tool work. And this section takes you through sharpening saw blades, plane blades, and edge tools like axes. In terms of the frugal nature of this book, there's some pretty good advice about using sandpaper as the material of choice for sharpening both curved as well as flat edge tools. Begin with the bench sander and end with the strop. A cool quote that is a few more steps in between, but is a simple no-nonsense approach to sharpening. I found it interesting in this section that Michael Dunbar is quoted as saying he would often have a room full of tools that were virtually unusable brought in by his students. I guess there's a message there about carefully evaluating whether you're really getting your tools sharp. 
The next part of the book covers nine projects related to holding work. There's a workbench, saw bench, portable dovetail vise, chisel holder, toolbox, and three different types of tool totes. These sections will either be interesting or superficially interesting to you, depending on what you've read before. I enjoyed some of the history and ideas in this section, but given that the workbench project is about 35 pages long, this is not a substitute for a dedicated workbench book. I think that if you're passionate about your workbench design, you're going to end up with a copy of Chris Swarge's book, sooner rather than later. But if on the other hand you just want to get going and make some furniture, this is a well-written section. There's enough detail about how wood shrinks as it dries, and the design is based on working with green or wet wood, so a low-cost, quick-built bench can be cobbled together in no time. I've just finished my European Beach Dream Workbench version 2.0, with the recessed planning stop and all the bells and whistles I wanted in it. I'm definitely not the kind of reader this book was aimed at. The other projects are simple no-nonsense guides to getting some essential shop appliances in place. I think that you'd learn a lot from going through these projects at the start of your woodworking career. Again, I'm probably not the right person to critique this section. I've been a member of Shannon Rogers' hand tool school for the last two years and there are really detailed videos and a semester-based approach there. It gives a lot more detail on these type of projects. So it's hard not to be critical of project-style books when there's so much rich mixed media that is available on the internet. However, if we were to try and evaluate this project list, I think the ultimate endorsement of this list is that the projects that he's chosen to put in the book are the same as YouTube personalities and online schools. I think it's a comprehensive list and I think that if you work through it, you'll have a lot of fun. I must be honest that project-style books as a whole have little appeal to me. I don't think the written format can compete with an online detailed tutorial. And I think that there's hours of dedicated content on YouTube and online resources. However, to be fair, if you're looking for a source of inspiration that will give you some rough guidelines to get you up and running, then the book is a nice resource. The final quarter of the book is a resource section that has bullet point step guides for the construction of the various projects. This is a handy section to print out because those couple of pages in the workshop are really going to help you as you progress through the project. I'd urge you to read the back section of the book before you start your first project. It's a really useful guide. When I made my plan, the five printed pages that accompanied me to the shop and resided on the workbench were absolutely invaluable throughout the build. At the very end of the book there are some sources of supply that the author used and a bit more about what he's doing now and at the home shop. It's a nice way to finish off the book. So in conclusion, Making Wood Tools is 540 pages long. Well, that's according to Amazon's Kindle to Page conversion estimate. I think it's a bit extreme because there's a lot of pictures in it, so I would suggest this book is closer to 300 to 350 pages in content. I would note here that it's very nicely illustrated. The book's written by John Wilson, and you can find the book at shakerovalbox.com or the electronic version through all the usual stores, Amazon or wherever you use to buy your ebooks. As of January 2020, it cost $40 for the hardback version, but the electronic version on the CD from shakerovalbox.com will set you back $10. If you're struggling to wrap your head around the cost of some of the premium tools out there, or if you've got an interest in trying your hand at making your own tool, this is my suggested go-to book. There are probably better books on making specific type of tools. Whelan's book on wooden planes comes to mind here. 
but I think that as a complete starter package for a frugal woodworker, this is the book to buy. And the book's not just for frugal woodworkers either. It might just be that that ebony and brass masterpiece you've always wanted in your collection could be coming from your own workshop rather than from a $400 plus retailer. I'm giving the book an 8 out of 10 in the category miscellaneous. So that's it for now, woodworms. And remember, go make your own tools for a change and keep reading. If you have any comments or suggestions, perhaps a favorite book you'd like to suggest or one you're considering buying that you'd like me to feature in a future episode, send me an email at handtoolbookreview at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can find me on Patreon. Any contributions will support the purchase of future books for the library and future episodes. 